you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. For they have swum over the river so deep, and they have climbed the shores so steep, and up the tower their way has bent to do the work for which they were sent. They are not to be told by the dozen or score, by the thousands they come, and myriads and more. Such numbers had never been heard of before. Such a judgment had never been witnessed of yore. Down on his knees the bishop fell, and faster and faster his beads did he tell. As louder and louder drawing near, the gnawing of their teeth could he hear. And in at the windows, and in at the door, and through the walls helter-skelter they pour, and down from the ceiling, and up through the floor, from the right and the left, from behind and before, from within and without, from above and below, and all at once to the bishop they go. They have wetted their teeth against the stones, and now they pick the bishop's bones. They gnawed the flesh from every limb, for they were sent to do judgment on him. From God's Judgment on a Wicked Bishop by Robert Southey. Arthur Matchin once wrote, that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. is a retelling of the Mouse Tower legend, as told in Lillian Gask's 1910 book, Folktales from Many Lands. Haddo, Bishop of Mines, was rich and avaricious. Instead of devoting himself to prayer and almsgiving, he thought only of increasing his great wealth, and at a time when numbers of his people could not obtain sufficient food, his money chests were laden with gold. His farms were the most productive in the whole country, and whatever might happen to other folk, he did not seem to suffer. One spring, the rivers overflowed, and the low-lying land was flooded. The harvest failed, and famine was imminent. Finding themselves on the point of starvation, the villagers went to implore his aid. Take pity, good bishop, on our hungry wives and little children, they entreated. They die with hunger, while your granaries are full of wheat. But Bishop Haddo only laughed. I cannot help that, he said. You must look after yourselves. And day after day, he made them the same answer. My weed is far too precious, he said at last, for me to bestow it on hungry rats. Even this, however, would not drive them off, for they were desperate, and wearied at length by their importunities, had obeyed them go to one of his largest granaries, which happened to be empty, saying that there he would meet them and satisfy their demands. Now at last there was joy among the starving creatures, 
Their dim eyes brightened, and strength came back to their shrunken limbs as they dragged themselves to the granary, in which there was soon a large assembly. You shall have bread tonight, they told their little ones, and the children ceased their wailing. At the appointed time, Bishop Haddo made his appearance, accompanied by a number of his servants. His cruel lips were pressed tightly together, and the fires of hatred burnt in his deep-set eyes as he surveyed the hungry crew through the open doors of the great granary. Instead of entering it, he told his servants to pull to the doors and bar them firmly. When this was done, he commanded that the building should be set on fire. Meanwhile, the hungry men and women were thanking God for having softened his heart and calling down blessings on his name. Every moment they expected to see him enter, but the minutes wore on, and he did not come. One of their number threw open a window that they might have more air, and as he did so, the bishop's rage found vent in words. You have pestered me like rats, he said, and now you shall die like rats. As he spoke, the crackling of the flaming walls that hemmed them in made his meaning clear. Despite their shrieks and appeals for mercy, they were burnt alive, and though his servants were pale with horror, the bishop calmly surveyed the scene. When the granary was but a mass of cinders, he went back to his palace with an easy mind to enjoy his luxurious dinner. That night, his sleep was broken by queer little sounds, as if rats and mice were scampering over the floor and nibbling at something they had found. Next morning, he was annoyed to find the splendid portrait of himself in his bishop's robes, which had been painted by a famous artist at great expense, was lying on the ground, gnawed to shreds, he could see the mark of the rat's sharp teeth on that part of the canvas where his face had been, and in spite of himself, he shuddered at the sight. A few minutes later, one of his servants burst in to tell him that a large number of that a vast number of mice and rats were approaching his palace from the ruins of the granary. They are coming in this direction with all speed, my lord, he said with bated breath, and a panic of terror seized the man who had committed so evil a crime. Mounting his horse, he went off at full gallop, but though the br brute was fleet and he spurred him on unmercifully, the bishop found that the army of rats was gaining upon him. Wild with terror, he hurried down to the riverside and jumping into a little boat, rode with all his might toward a tall stone tower built on a rock in the middle of the stream. Entering this with what haste he could, he quickly barred the door and crouched down in a dusty corner. He was safe, he thought for a time at least. What was his horror presently, on peering through a narrow slit in the stone walls, to see that the rats and mice had devoured his horse and were now swimming across the river? The current was swift and strong, but they gained the tower, and though he had barred the window, he could hear them climbing up the rough stone wall in all directions. He heard them gnawing at the doors and windows, and the poor starved people whom he had caused to perish did not suffer half what he suffered then. They were in at last, and sprang at him fiercely. He beat them off by the score. He trampled them under his feet. He tore at them savagely with his hands, all to no purpose. He might just as well have tried to beat back the ocean. The rats surged in against him like waves breaking on a cliff, and very soon the bishop was overwhelmed in the hard flood. Little was left to tell of the tragedy when his servants plucked up the courage to enter the building some days later. This is the story of the Mouse Tower near Bingen-on-the-Rhine, which is still pointed out to strangers 
as the place where Bishop Haddo met his death. This story should be able to be easily recognized as a pure fairy tale by most. But this is not to say that there is no truth to the matter. The tower does exist near the town of Bingen, at what is known as the Rhine's Knee, or, well, the Rhine's Knee. More specifically, it's on an island called Moisa Terminsel, or Mouse Tower Island, at a narrow section of the river called the Binger Lock, or the Bingen Hole, where a natural bottleneck formed by a rock, rocky outcropping in the river was an impediment to shipping until the 19th century. The tower on the island at present, however, wasn't built until the 1850s, after the rocky outcrop in the river was partially destroyed. A tower had existed on the island since the 1300s, when it existed as a customs post, along with Ehrenfels Castle on the opposite bank of the river. According to some sources, the 1850s era tower incorporates the older one, and was merely a refurbishment, rather than a full replacement. The town of Bingen, however, had existed since Roman times, when the outpost of Bingium existed along the Rhine. There was, indeed, a Haddo who was Archbishop of Mainz. Two of them, in fact. The first Archbishop Haddo was an advisor to King Arnulf of Bavaria, who was eventually crowned Ar Archbishop in 891. When King Arnulf died in 899, when his heir, Louis, was only six, Haddo took the throne as regent until the child came of age. By all accounts, Haddo was a rather heartless and cruel lord, and inserted himself into a dispute between the Conradine and Babenberg dynasties. Adelhard Babenberg was executed in 903 by the Con Conradines. In return, the Babenbergs invaded the city of Wurzburg and overthrew Rudolf, the Conradine bishop of that city. Eventually, the Conradines came out the victors when Haddo summoned Adelbert Babenberg to Mainz under a promise of safe conduct in 1906. When Adelbert appeared, however, despite the promise, he was beheaded. Louis the Child died in 911 at the age of 18. The bishop was also later embroiled in an assassination plot against another rival king. Haddo died in 913, and as an unpopular individual, all sorts of stories spread about his death. Some said that he had been struck by lightning. Others said that he had been cast into the depths of Mount Etna by the devil himself. Thomas Coryat says that the death took place in 914, a year after Haddo's actual death. He also places the fire in the town of Kolb, rather than Bingen, which would likely place the tower at Falsgrafenstein Castle, rather than where it is more commonly said to be. The story of the Mouse Tower is most often attached to a later archbishop, Haddo II. This Haddo was archbishop only from 968 to 970. He was known to have built the Church of St. George on the island of Reichenau in Lake Constance. Haddo II is almost always named in the story, but the grisly fate seems more in keeping with tales told of the death of the first Haddo. There is a supposition among some that the name Moise term may itself be a misnomer. It is proposed that as the German word for toll is malt, the original name may have been Maltturm, or Toll Tower. It is also said that the original name may have been Musthumb, Arsenal, but, well, I have no idea what that source was talking about. The word for Arsenal is Zeughaus, Waffenarsenal, or simply Arsenal. 
The closest I was able to find is Mutter House, which is Training Yard. Of course, there are numerous problems with the acceptance of the Mouse Tower story as anything but a pure fantasy, not least of which is the fact that though Haddo supposedly died in the tower, at 970 at the latest, the tower itself wasn't even built until the 1300s. How one manages to die in a fortification, not even in existence, and which wouldn't be for 300 more years, I don't know. Francis Milton's 1909 book, Churches and Cathedrals of the Rhine, gives an account of another ghost story in the vicinity in which the Mouse Tower features. From this town, the tourist may make a pleasant excursion to the Niederwald. Having first given his attention to the history of Rudesheim, once the seat of an, of an imperial court held in the Niederberg, and scan its four ancient castles. Of these, one belonged for a time to Prince Metternich, who, however, sold it to Count Ingelheim, its present possessor. Another is picturesquely posted at the upper part of the town, and still retains some curious relics of the Bromser family, its old possessors. A tradition still exists, telling how Hans Bromser, being taken captive in Jerusalem, made a vow to heaven that if released, he would dedicate his only daughter to the service of the church. Gaining his liberty soon afterward, he returned to the Rhineland to find the child he had left when he started for the Crusades had grown to womanhood. And he learned that also that, secure of her father's sanction, she had betrothed herself to a youthful knight. Love and duty well nigh rent the maiden's heart in twain till love conquered and she begged her stern parent to relent. This he refused to do, and threatened her with a father's curse, should she marry. Despairing, she threw herself into the Rhine, and her body floated downstream as far as Bishop Haddo's mouse tower at Bingen. This gave rise to another legend, that when the surface of the waters is troubled, it is caused by the uneasy spirit of Bromser's daughter, wrestling with the dreadful fate to which she was driven. But the traditional mouse tower story is not unique to the island of Bingen. In fact, as far back as the writings of the ancient Greek historian Herodotus, similar tales of destruction at the hands, or paws rather, of a horde of mice were being told. After Amartaeus reigned, the priest of Vulcan, whose name was Sethon, he held in no account and despised the military caste of the Egyptians as not having need of their services. And accordingly, among other indignities, he took away their lands, to each of whom, under former kings, twelve chosen acres had been assigned. After this, Sennacherib, king of the Arabians and the Assyrians, marched a large army against Egypt, whereupon the Egyptian warriors refused to assist them, and the priest being reduced to a strait, entered the temple and bewailed before the image the calamities he was in danger of suffering. While he was lamenting, sleep fell upon him, and it appeared to him in a vision that the gods stood by and encouraged him, assuring him that he should suffer nothing disagreeable in meeting the Arabian army, for he would himself send assistance to him. Confiding in this vision, he took with him such of the Egyptians as were willing to follow him, and encamped in Pelusium, for there the entrance into Egypt is. But though none of the military caste followed him, but tradesmen, mechanics, and sutlers. When they arrived there, a number of field mice, pouring in upon their enemies, devoured their quivers and their bows, and moreover, 
the handles of their shields, so that on the next day, when they fled bereft of their arms, many of them fell. And to this day, a stone statue of the king stands in the temple of Falcon, with a mouse in his hand, and an inscription to the following effect, Whoever looks on me, let him revere the gods. Here the mice clearly represent the judgment or wrath of a god, in this case Hephaestus or Vulcan, in most later versions, the Christian god. The mouse was a symbol of the soul in many old traditions. The author Pretorius mentions the tale of a woman whose soul left her body in the form of a red mouse. In Bohemia, the modern Czech Republic, there was an idea that if you went to bed thirsty, your soul would leave in search of sustenance. Three laborers once lost their way in a wood. Parched with thirst, they sought, but in vain, for a spring of water. At last one of them lay down and fell asleep, but the others, continuing their search, discovered a fountain. They drank, and then returned to their comrade. He still slept, and they observed a little white mouse run out of his mouth, go to the spring, drink, and return to his mouth. They woke him and said, You are such an idle fellow that instead of going after that instead of going yourself after water, you send your soul. We will have nothing more to do with you. Another tale, along similar lines, tells of a miller living in the black forest of southern Germany, who went to sleep, and his companions chased away a mouse from the mill house. But the mouse had actually been the miller's soul, and he never awoke again. In other tales, the animal in whose shape the soul was projected is not a mouse, but a snake, or sometimes a bee. St. Gertrude, who functions as the patroness of fleeting souls in Germanic tradition, is often represented with several mice, and in fact is invoked against fear of mice. This likely is also connected to the folkloric tradition of if you dig up a vampire and you burn the body, you have to kill any vermin that emanates from out of the body, out of the fire, because that's supposed to carry the soul of the vampire to another corpse. Tales of judgment against the individual by mice or rats, however, begin at roughly the same time as the Bishop Haddo story is reputed to take place. King Canute IV of the Danes, also known as Canute the Saint, was murdered along with his brother Benedict at St. Albans Priory in Odense, Denmark. An English monk named, known as Aelnoth of Can Canterbury says that Canute was slain with a spear. But at any rate, the supposed murderer, Jarl Asbjorn, was, de was devoured by rats the following year, which would, be, would have been 1087, in the midst of a famine. The tale is also told of a Moiseschloss, or Mouse Castle, on an island in Hirschberger Lake. Presumably, by this is meant Lake Mecha, formerly Hirschberger Grosteich, in the Czech Republic or former Bohemia. This is actually an artificial lake created in the latter part of the 1360s. The English chronicler William of Malmesbury writes that during the reign of the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV, which was 10 to 1050 to 1106, an enemy of his, a weak and factious man, while reclining in a banquet, was on sudden so completely surrounded by mice as to be unable to escape. So great was the number of these little animals that there could scarcely be imagined more in a whole province. It was in vain that they were attacked with clubs and fragments of the benches which were at hand. 
And though they were at t- for, a time, for a long time assailed by all, yet they wreaked their deputed curse on no one else, pursuing him only with their teeth, and with a kind of dreadful squeaking. And although he was carried out to sea about a javelin's cast by the servants, yet he could not by those means escape their violence. For immediately so great a multitude of mice took the water, that you would have sworn the sea was strewed with chaff. But when they began to gnaw the planks of the ship, and the water, rushing through the chinks, threatened inevitable shipwreck, the servants turned the vessel toward the shore. The animals, then also swimming close to the ship, landed first. Thus the wretch, set on shore, and soon after, entirely gnawed in pieces, satiated the dreadful hunger of the mice. Gerald of Wales tells two tales of infestations of vermin which seem relevant to this discussion. First up is a tale that is less violent than most from the Isle of Anglesey in northwest Wales. There is a small island, almost adjoining to Anglesey, which is inhabited by hermits, living by manual labor and serving God. It is remarkable that when, by the influence of human passions, any discord arises among them, all their provisions are devoured and infected by a species of small mice, with which the island abounds. But when the discord ceases, they are no longer molested. He also tells a second story that is more or less identical to the various Mouse Tower stories, although a different type of vermin is to blame. The story apparently was supposed to have taken place in Pembrokeshire in southwest Wales. In our time, a young man, native of this country, during a severe illness, suffered as violent a persecution from toads, as if the reptiles of the whole province had come to him by agreement. And though destroyed by his nurses and friends, they increased again on all sides in infinite numbers, like Hydra's heads. His attendants, both friends and strangers, being wearied out, he was drawn up in a kind of bag into a high tree, stripped of its leaves, and shred. Nor was he there secure from his venomous enemies, for they crept up the tree in great numbers, and consumed him even to the very bones. The young man's name was Cecilus Acerhair, that is, Cecilus Longleg. It is also recorded that by the hidden but never unjust will of God, another man suffered a similar persecution from rats. The chronicler Tietmar of Merseburg, writing around the year 1000, tells a variant of the tale, nearly identical to Gerald's. As retold by Sabine Berengold, There was once a certain knight who, having appropriated the goods of St. Clement and refused to make restitution, was one day attacked by an innumerable host of mice as he lay in bed. At first he defended himself with a club, then with his sword, and, as he found himself unable to cope with the multitude, he ordered his servants to put him in a box and suspend this by a rope from the ceiling, and as soon as the mice were gone, to liberate him. But the animals pursued him even thus, and when he was taken down, it was found that they had eaten the flesh and skin off his bones, and it became manifest to all how obnoxious to God is the sin of sacrilege. In the year 997, Bishop Vitteroff of Strasbourg was also said to have been devoured by rats as divine retribution for his suppression of the convent of Seltzen along the Rhine. The same was told of Freiherr von Gutingen, who ruled the Swiss city of Gutingen on the southern bank of Lake Constance, 
but it is combined with stories associated with the church towers of Dunwich in England, Cantrefi Gwaelod, Yeast, and other lost lands when it is said that the castle in which he met his fate sank into the lake after his death, where it is said to be visible when the water is calm. A mouse tower was also said to exist near Holtzoster, Austria, although the noble in that case kept the peasants in a dungeon where they starved, rather than burned them in a barn. A count of Zeefeld in Bavaria was also attacked by a swarm of mice after he had either starved a band of peasants like in the last tale, or burned them like in the Haddo story. He fled to an island in the Wurthsee, where he was devoured by the mice on the island, rather than in a fortress. The island is now known as Malsinsel, or Mouse Island. A Count Graf was also the center of a Haddo-like legend. Graf merely means Count in German, so like the character on Sesame Street, he's merely Count Count. An 11th century historian named Caesarius of Heisterbach tells the story of a man from Cologne, a moneylender by trade, who swindled the poor and confessed his sins to a priest of the city. The priest told him to fill a barrel with bread and to place the barrel in the church of St. Garion as alms for the poor. The next morning, the barrel was opened and all the bread had changed into frogs and toads. Behold the value of your alms in the sight of God, the priest said. He told the, men, the money lender that if he truly wished to make amends, he would get in the barrel himself. The priest closed the barrel and returned the following day. But only bones remained within. The most famous variant of the Mouse Tower legend aside from Haddo's is probably that of Prince Popiel II of Poland. It centers on another Mouse Tower, this one part of a ruined tower near Kruzwika. Popiel was a cruel, unjust, and corrupt monarch. After the death of his first wife, he married a German princess who was beautiful but had a cold heart and craved for power. Together they ruled over the lands around Lake Gopwa with iron fist. Everyone knew very well about their crimes, but people were too afraid to take action for a long time, fearing Popiel's well-equipped mercenaries, and most likely they hoped for the king to realize how bad the influence of his new wife was. Then came grim years after the queen gave birth to a child. Eventually, Popiel and his wife took measures as drastic as poisoning an entire council of tribes' leaders and elders that gathered in Popiel's castle on his invitation for a public assembly and murdering Popiel's sons from his first marriage. After all the mysterious deaths, they also refused to burn the bodies in accordance with Slavic customs and threw them into the deep waters of Lake Gopwo instead. People couldn't bear it anymore because the crimes offended the Slavic gods and broke the most respected Slavic laws, customs, and principles. Their anger, the shed royal blood, and the curses thrown by the elders before death resulted in unusual death events seen by the people as anger of the gods. One day, not long after the massacre, people witnessed an unexpected sight. Thousands and thousands of mice started emerging from the lake and approaching Popiel's castle. These were strange mice, unusually big and with sharp teeth, not afraid of the people. The king's soldiers tried to kill them, but from each, from each mouse cut in half, two new ones were emerging. Soon, the castle's residents started fleeing in panic. 
The king and his family got on a boat and escaped to the defensive tower located on an island in the middle of the lake. But the mice followed them, swam across the water, climbed up the, hall, the high walls to the king's chamber, and bit through the barred doors. People heard terrible screams from far away, and for a long time no one dared to approach the island, fearing of the god's wrath. One day they entered the site, but discovered nothing but bare bones within the tower. Until nowadays, it is believed that Popiel lost his royal crown while swimming toward the tower, and it will bring luck to a person who will find it at the bottom of the lake. Horrible was the last death of, from the Popielids dynasty, punishment for the murders and for disregard of the old customs. But this mouse tower, too, was built long after the nobleman's actual death. Popiel ruled in, in the 800s, and the castle wasn't built until the 1300s. So once more, we have an edifice associated with the variant of the legend, which was constructed long after the death of the person who was supposed to have been killed there. The Popiel legend inspired a quest in the video game Witcher 3, A Tower Full of Mice, in which the titular monster hunter travels to a ruined tower on an island. The tower is infested by rats and haunted by the ghost of a girl who had been eaten alive by them. In this case, the rats are test subjects of a wizard who had been researching a plague rather than supernatural visitants. And that's the end of this episode. A list of sources consulted for this episode can be found in the show description. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to our Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so, until next episode... This is Andrew, signing off. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.